Welcome to Speaking of Strong Style, where we discuss the news, issues, and events surrounding New Japan Pro Wrestling. I'm Stephen Conway. With me, as always, Jeremy Feinstone, and we are contributors to the Fight Game Media Network. It's been a very busy week, of course, uh, in the United States. It was WrestleMania week, and that seems to have created its own gravitational pull. Almost every company in the uh, United States had some sort of important event going on either in or around the Los Angeles area or something in conjunction. And New Japan was a big part of a lot of those events. We're going to be talking about that. Uh, Jeremy, just approximately, how many matches did you watch this past week? Probably like 40. Really? Yeah. That's, that's, that's a lot fewer than I did. I, I swear I'm a, I got to be up around 60 or 70. Well, I mean, I watched I watched Dynamite, which I kind of count as like the inaugural kickoff to this whole week. Uh, Multiverse United. I did Ring of Honor, Supercard of Honor. And then uh, the 20 or so matches on Mania. So I'm kind of just guesstimating around 40. I didn't I didn't do a whole lot of the ITV, the collective or, or anything like that. I, I, I had to keep my sanity so that when I came here today, I actually had cheddar cheese, not Swiss cheese brain. Well, I want to bring up one thing, too. If you want to go over some of these indie shows and things uh, that happened over the course of the week that aren't part of the major, major companies, some of the indie stuff, uh, Power Bombshells, uh, Sam and Mel really covered the heck out of all that stuff, too. So uh, there, it's a good show here on uh, the Fight Game Media Network. It's also a podcast, uh, Power Bombshells with Sam and Mel. They will cover everything. And uh, Colin's in uh, in on on early this uh, week. He's, he's right here with us. Good to see you, Colin, as well. Tip of the hat, and uh, yeah, as far as I go, I was watching a lot of the Cinderella tournament uh, from okay. Stardom. Uh, I caught uh, the Road to Sakura Genesis. I watched NXT, which was a heck of a show on Saturday, actually. I mean, you know, not at the same level as the old takeovers that we became fine. to know and love, like, but it was good. I, and I then, felt like you were chasing a ghost, to be honest. I felt like you well, were chasing the Spirit of Old takeovers. And I can't, I can't unget that taste out of my mouth. There were some good matches on that show, though. So they, for, for what NXT is now, I thought that was a good version of the current version of that product. So I thought it was a good version of NXT, considering what NXT is right now, where they're not really trying to be the uh, PWG of WWE, I guess is the whole point. Uh, yeah, but... Th- you know, we're getting away from what we were talking about. The New Japan, uh, their talent uh, is obviously highly respected by a lot of different organizations to the point that uh, these guys, for the past several years, uh, Jeremy, have been booked between Bloodsport and uh, Suzuki's made appearances on those shows. And Multiverse United had a big New Japan presence. So did uh, Ring of Honor's Supercard of Honor. I guess when you have a roster that is as talented as New Japan's, you uh, make a lot of friends in the business here. So uh, they were all over the place. Uh, your, your initial thoughts that began on Dynamite. You know, um, it felt like Dynamite wanted to have a show that you would still remember after the whole week was done. I have to say, I think that they were not able to succeed and that was not because of anything that they had within their own power. There was an excessive amount of news that came out of this past weekend. But hmm. we got to Multiverse United and the shows, and I did, I did a break for Impact with uh, Scott Edwards, uh, and we reviewed that show that was the Impact and New Japan crossover. And it, it started to feel like it was a showcase, that you weren't going to get very important matches or consequential 
payoff to anything. And it was more just like, here, let's show you a little bit of what we have to offer with these shows. And then you got to Ring of Honor, Supercard of Honor, and you actually, you know, that was an escalation of what we were seeing from New Japan. And, you know, I, I go back and forth about whether we should be covering Shibata. Uh, because whereas we know that Kota Ibushi is no longer a New Japan contracted talent, there hasn't been any such indication that Shibata is no longer with New Japan. So, you know, we're covering Ring of Honor, Supercard of Honor to talk about Shibata and his match and Hiroshi Tanahashi. So, well, man, it like... just felt like a roller coaster of the impact of New Japan all over the place in Los Angeles. And good or bad, it just it was good that they had a presence. Well, Shibata is certainly still training people in the LA dojo, right? So, I mean, he's still I'm working sure with New Japan. Uh, I, I, I thought he was. I hadn't heard that he left anyway. But we'll see. Well, there, Kushida and Rother are in charge of the latest class of hmm. uh, of of past novice training, and then the DKC and uh, somebody else is in charge of the lower. Shibata has not been mentioned whatsoever in terms of like coaching or an impact with New Japan. So there's a little bit of muddy water there. Nothing's been clarified for sure. But until we know for sure, Shibata still got to be considered kind of a New Japan talent that we're going to cover in this show. He's been mentioned sometimes in uh, backstage comments too, and they, you know, they, but that they have a little more freedom in there than usual. Mm-hmm. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about uh, some of the peripheral stuff. So we're going to discuss multiverse, the New Japan stuff. We're going to talk about uh, Ring of Honor, Supercard of Honor, uh, the Road to Sakura Genesis. We're going to go over those shows. There have been a couple of those that were frankly not the best product New Japan's ever put out. <laughs> uh, then we will preview the big uh, Sakura Genesis card coming up this weekend. Uh, just a bit, a bit of a reminder, this show will also be up as a podcast a little bit later on tonight. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, so uh, make sure you uh, you know rate us. Uh, five-star reviews are always nice, helps people find the show. We definitely appreciate everybody who both watches and listens. So uh, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, uh, uh, Amazon Podcasts, uh, the whole uh, Spotify, uh, all those. And uh, we've been getting uh, some nice uh, response for that. So much appreciated to everyone. So we'll, we'll pop out the RSS feed tonight. Try and make sure everyone has an ability to find it. You can go to my Twitter and Stephen Conway's Twitter. You can find all that information, like you said. Rank Is review. It? Hey, man, let's get on to the talk about all this wrestling. So much. A lot of wrestling, <laughs> boy. Uh, and we are going to discuss very briefly uh, Mania. There's a million places to get oh, full, God. complete coverage <laughs> of WrestleMania. But we have we have, uh, we have some thoughts on, on what we've seen there. And then certainly the news that's come out in the last couple of days. Things that could have a ripple effect on New Japan. We're going to get to all that today. And if we have time, uh, maybe some uh, history of Sakura Genesis. So... We'll get to that, hopefully. Uh, Kenny versus Cobb. So we had uh, Kenny Omega and Jeff Cobb. Now, this one was a match that we felt uh, was going to be really good, and it was. Let's be fair. This was a good match. It was also a bit of a uh, vehicle for an angle more than uh, a match between these two. I was hoping that we would see something between Kenny and Jeff that would be something on a pay-per-view because I thought it was worthy of that. I think their talents are worthy of that. I'm not going to complain about this match, though. It was on national television. It was a really good match. Uh, Kenny gave uh, Cobb a lot. Cobb looked impressive, but let's face it, this was about Daniel Bryan, uh, Bryan Danielson's uh, heel turn. Why do I keep doing that? I'm sorry. <laughs> Bryan Danielson's heel turn, where he joined up with the rest of his cohorts in Blackpool Combat Club to viciously assault Kenny Omega after this match. But uh, it was uh, United Empire prominently mentioned on the show. Uh, the announcers talked about it. Jeff Cobb looked good. 
Uh, I think this was uh, well worth the trip out for Cobb and, uh, you know, pretty good match. What'd you think? I really enjoyed the one way again, Angel. I love the, the way that they worked this match in which uh, Cobb was taking advantage of all of Kenny's vulnerability throughout the thing. Um, I agree with you that it was interesting that, it was, that this match was on this show. And while it was a vehicle for, you know, other storylines to progress, which is something I'm kind of critical with AEW about is their linear week to week storytelling and, and ability to quote unquote cook. Uh, I thought that was excellent. Um, but I like to make peace with the fact that this was likely the biggest way people would be able to see Jeff Cobb versus Kenny Omega. Unfortunately, not as many people have uh, the ability to watch this on new Japan world. Uh, and if you put it on new Japan, then people wouldn't be able to see it otherwise unless you put it on YouTube or or made it free. And, you know, th- there was an advantage to having this show on AEW Dynamite. Should it have been on a pay-per-view? Arguable. What pay-per-view would you put it on? So there was a strategy that we went back and forth about this match. Where do you put it? When do we watch it? We both had a sneaking feeling that it was going to be on Dynamite. And, you know, we got a Kenny Omega singles match with Jeff Cobb in a uh, top event slot on Dynamite. I honestly don't remember if it was the closing match of the show. I don't think it was. I think it was Adam Cole and and Daniel Garcia. That would be my only criticism is that that probably should have been a main event match, not the a middle of the card match. But I don't think people are going to remember where it was on the card. What could end up on New Japan World for the rest of the world to see? Yeah, and so that was there on Dynamite. And, of course, Kenny Omega retained the IWGP United States heavyweight title. He's still the champion there. And uh, more appearances for New Japan in his near future. And uh, we'll be looking toward uh, Forbidden Door to see who he ends up paired up with. So, Speaking of Forbidden Door, I'm going to throw this out there. Blackpool Combat Club has very close initials to the Bullet Club. And if you <laughs> wanted to start aligning heel factions together for some, you know, multi-man matches down the line uh i would not rule that out okay we'll see how that turns out so i think there'll definitely be a presence there and and shingo takagi had some words to say about forbidden door over the weekend as well so we had multiverse united that was on the 30th so that was the thursday night show uh 652 folks turned up at the globe theater the home of pwg for this one now uh, i will say i haven't seen this one uh i did the million things going on and uh, i just didn't uh, get to see multiverse united so Jeremy, I'm going to lean on you for this one here. Uh, well, it's great because I already did a review of this over on Brace for Impact, uh, the live show with Scott Edwards. We're only going to cover the matches that involve New Japan talent. Yes. Uh, so we're going to skip over a couple of the other matches. It's not going to be a full full rundown. But uh, yeah, this was the pre-show match. So I'll, we'll start with this if you want. It, it, wasn't, sure. it wasn't much, but uh, this was the first time I got to see Yugo Uemura, uh, because I got a, kind of a hard and fast rule to avoid watching wrestlers in New Japan on excursion while they're on excursion, because they're kind of a, I want to see what they do when they come back. Like, I don't watch Yoda Suji in Rev Pro. I don't pay attention to Yugo Uemura when he's in Impact. And I know you have a very confused look on your face. It's an interesting choice, but all right. <laughs> I didn't know this. <laughs> I didn't realize. Uh, it just it's one of those I, I want to see when they leave and when they come back and not the work in progress aspect if if I can avoid it. If I'm already watching the promotion for whatever reason, uh I will I'm not gonna not watch it, 
but I'm not going into Impact because you get Urimura is all of a sudden there, and uh, I got to see how his excursion is going. Well, no, but I mean, there's uh, there, he, <laughs> okay. Well, there were, there was a lot of New Japan talent on this one, so what did? Oh no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to get started on that one. Just I was okay. talking about excursion yeah. talent. I think I caught you completely off guard. Anyways. Gabriel Kidd and Yuya Urimura was a perfectly fine match. Gabriel Kidd uh, has not been used a whole lot on the roster lately because of the uh, issues that he's been trying to do. They've been using him sparingly and probably for the best. With that said, it was a perfectly academic match for the two. Nothing special. And uh, I look forward to more work by them in the future. Yeah, Yuya Urimura won, by the way. Yes, he did. Sorry, I forgot that part of it. This was the X Division match. We had Trey Miguel, Frankie Kazarian, Rich Swan, Kevin Knight, Clark Connors, and Rocky Romero. If you have ever seen an X Division match or an X Division scramble, you knew exactly what you got out of this. This was 10 minutes. Everybody got two or three minutes to shine on their moves on other people. Trey Miguel stole a pin at the very end off of Clark Connors spearing Kevin Knight with an Excellent spear off the second rope. Good match. If you get a chance to see it without spending $20, I would say go ahead and do it, but not quite spending $20 for this and the rest of the card. Moving on. I have a lot to say about this match. Go check out the break for impact review for it. With that said, I don't understand what this match was. I don't understand why they had it. It was a good vehicle for a couple of matchups that I didn't realize I wanted to see, like J.R. Kratos versus PCO. Unfortunately, after I saw the matchup between J.R. Kratos and PCO, I no longer want to see a matchup between J.R. Kratos and PCO. (laughs) It was actually tremendously bad. Uh, PCO pinned J.R. Kratos to end the match after he had a top rope splash on J.R. Kratos, and to get to that point, it was ugly, and it would be a hate crime to describe it. So, we're going to move on from now. Okay. This was a good match, but uh, I am going to echo the sentiment. This is Moose Moose versus Jeff Cobb, by the way, for those listening. Sorry. I was about to get there. Moose and Jeff Jeff Cobb. This was a good match, but this highlighted the, the... symptom that we had of this entire show which was it wasn't the best effort of anybody on either promotions uh no one was giving their best effort everyone was giving good effort and i believe that moose and jeff cobb had probably the best match on this card but it was not jeff cobb's best match of the weekend i'm not even sure if moose had another match but if he did like i'm not sure you could pick this match out of a lineup like his level of work in this match is average, but his mm. average is better than everybody else on the show. Mm. So when you get these two together, it was fine. I'm sure that they could do better if they were put in a position of building it, so on and so forth. Jeff Cobb beat Moose, and I there was nothing that really built from it. So it was just it was a match to have, and I think it probably sold a lot of buys to get this match on the card after the Will Osprey thing. So the the Knockouts world title match didn't involve any New Japan talent. So moving on from that, there the match that I was looking most forward to on this show, in just a sense of everyone being in on it, is uh, the four-way world tag team title match. And this one had 
a lot of really good wrestlers in it. Chris Bay and Ace Austin, mm-hmm. we know that's a good team. The Motor City Machine Guns, we know that's a good team. Bad Dude Tito and Shane Haste is an interesting combination of TMDK, not the normal tag team right there, but two very capable wrestlers. And then Aussie Open, and if you watch this show, you know what we feel about Aussie Open. We feel like they are basically the future of tag team wrestling mm-hmm. right now. So, on paper, this should be pretty good. It only went about 12 and a half minutes, Jeremy. Was it as good as we were hoping? Do you know the symptom of the convention matches where you think you see the best match of the weekend on Thursday and by Saturday you don't even remember what happened in the match? (laughs) Yeah, I'm very well aware of that one. That is what happened here. Uh, You know that Bad Dude Tito got pinned by the Asian Bay Connection. Well, it there makes was, sense. I mean, that, yes. that would be the team. That would be the, the makeshift team, so to speak. The one that's yes. not the regular team in here to, to do the job and to keep the belts where they are. You know, they, you don't want to switch the belts. The way to keep the, clo- the, the belts on Bullet Club, and I'll start speaking English in a moment, I promise, <laughs> is to pin the makeshift tag team here. So that finish made a lot of sense. Uh, you just hope that they get to it in a good way. This is a fantastic match, but I couldn't fucking tell you anything that happened at this point unless I went back and watched it, which unfortunately I didn't have time to do. Okay. Um, but what you have here is you've got Aussie Open and you got Motor City Machine Guns, which as we're going to see going into April are also going to be having some feuding going on. Bullet Club and Motor City Machine Guns are currently impacted with or impacted at impact with each other. I didn't mean to do that, but that, but here we are. Uh, and they're feuding with each other and they're really doing their best to get the mighty don't kneel over. So what you had here was just four hungry tag teams that were ready to go out there and put one of their better efforts out during the WrestleCon weekend. Cause this was not the only match for any one of these guys, this thing, but of the matches that they did, I, I would go so far to say that this was the best match of each of these guys this weekend for them. Uh, we got this show and this match. TMDK, of course, uh, again, the only team that doesn't need to be protected in this one also. So you have Bullet Club, uh, Chris Bay and Ace Austin. They're the Impact Tag Team Champions. They didn't want to do a title switch, so they had to be protected. Uh, the Aussie Open needs to be protected because they're challenging Bishamon for the mm-hmm. IWGP World Tag Team titles. And Motor City Machine Guns need to be protected because they're the strong tag team champions. So that really left Tito and Shane Hayes carrying the fray. By process of elimination, you can pretty much figure out how this match was going to go. And it went that way. With that said, sometimes it's the story of the journey and not the finish. Go watch this match if you want just a ball-to-the-wall, high-paced match that doesn't mean much, but you're going to have fun. So last week we were talking about how Kushida was snake bit on this show. He couldn't. He was supposed to have the match with the, with Josh Alexander. Of course, Alexander is injured. So at the time we did the show last week, he did not have an opponent. Well, they came up with one. They came up with Leo Rush. And uh, tell us about this one because uh, again, another one on paper that would uh, draw eyeballs. So this was a weird match because you got Leo Rush in there, and he was a great on paper matchup for Kushida. But Leo Rush just came off of a loss challenging for the junior heavyweight uh, title. You have Kushida challenging for the Impact World Heavyweight title coming up. So you could kind of read between the lines of who was going to win 
and who was going to lose this match. And I do not believe in any way, shape, or form that it was either man's best contribution that we've seen on either New Japan or Impact of late. But it was better than, say, a TV match that you would see on Dynamite or uh, up to last week, Raw or SmackDown between a singles match. It was a perfectly acceptable match. But when you see these two lined up against each other, you kind of expect to see fireworks. We got a couple. We got some sparklers, but they uh, they could do better in a different platform. I really do think that the Multiverse United, no one was truly prepared to go both to the wall of the show. That's an interesting way because that should be a big show for Impact here, but uh, I guess that was the overall feeling. So there was a New Japan title defended on this show. It was the Strong Openweight Championship. Kenta faced Minoru Suzuki. Kenta's the champion, having won it in San Jose. He faced uh, the the man himself, Minoru, here, and uh, the build-up to this one was pretty good. How'd the match deliver? 15 minutes, 36 seconds. The Kukai Light version of any match you'd see them do in New Japan. If you want to see this match, go see this match. But if you're expecting the caliber of work rate that these two would deliver in a match with each other in a New Japan ring uh, in Japan, this unfortunately was not that. And so they were were both bringing about 75%. But we both know that when they go crazy with each other, you get pretty special fireworks. And we have kind of a high, like a high caliber of what we expect when we see Kenta and Minoru Suzuki in the ring with each other. If I'm going to tell you that this was an awesome matchup and you need to go out of your way to see it and it was special and there were fireworks, I would be selling you something that it wasn't the case. It was a fine match between the two. They showed up and they had a match Kento won because he is not ready to drop that title. It was not a clean finish. He did not give Minoru Suzuki a go to sleep. He got him with a roll up and the uh, and his legs on the rope, and they moved on to perhaps save this for a feud for the never open weight six man titles. Very possible, and we'll get to uh, what happened with those over the, those belts over the weekend. The final thing to talk about tonight is a match that. Uh, Mike Bailey taking on Hiroshi Tanahashi. Now, this was the uh, main event of this one was supposed to be Will Ospreay, but of course, Ospreay had his shoulder injury in the New Japan Cup. Hiroshi Tanahashi stepped in. 15 minutes, 30 seconds. Hiroshi Tanahashi got the win over Mike Bailey. How was this? It was okay. Uh, hmm. We have the discussion about the good Tanahashi Nih and the bad Tanahashi Nih night, and this was a bad Tanahashi Nih night. Hmm. His aura got him through this match. The fact that Hiroshi Tanahashi was main eventing the Multiverse United was all you needed. He needed to show up. He needed to do a couple of moves. He needed to just be Hiroshi Tanahashi. He didn't need to do much. And unfortunately, he didn't do much. And, well, you got Speedball Mike Bailey, who a lot of people just sing his praises top to bottom and just wonder why he isn't signed elsewhere. And the dude hustled his ass off. I think... The, the amount of matches, he had 11 matches throughout three days, and just, just a nuts resume throughout the weekend. Um, I'm not sure what Mike Bailey offers that everyone goes crazy about. He's, he's, he's fine. And being on impact kind of feels like a ceiling right now. He can't cut a promo. There's a couple other things that he's a little bit limited at. Um, 
But Hiroshi Tanahashi, it was a weird matchup. Will Ospreay and Mike Bailey probably would have been a lot better. Will Ospreay would have carried him to uh, a different layout match with the same finish. Uh, a lot of their matchup lineups would have been just fit better. But Hiroshi Tanahashi stepped in because he's a pro. He had this match. They got through it. And uh, if it ends up on World, it'll be a fun way to kill some time if there's uh, other wrestling programming out there that you're no longer interested in perhaps watching. Tanahashi's is an interesting case. We've talked about if he's having a good knee day or a bad knee day. I wonder how much he's really able to do because he was in a match this past weekend. He was in a tag team match with Kazuchika Okada against Sonata and Taichi. He didn't do a whole lot in that one, and that one kind of ended abruptly, and there wasn't a whole lot to it. You wonder what Tanahashi can actually do right now, if his body is just betraying him that way, that he really can't do a whole lot except be Hiroshi Tanahashi, and uh, which is enough for certain cases. But uh, you, you do start to wonder if maybe uh, we're seeing uh, the end of him toward the top of the cards right there. I, I do wonder because I'm just not sure he, his body is going to let him do it much anymore. So. I thought he I thought he performed significantly better the next night, which we will move on to, but that's yeah. not the first match on our lineup. Supercard of Honor from Ring of Honor, that was on the 31st. So the next night they're in the Galen Center, a much bigger building there in Los Angeles, and they drew 5,000. So that's a healthy crowd uh, for them. And, yeah, we had the uh, Supercard of Honor Reach for the Sky ladder match, and that was a uh, five-way match. Uh, belts hanging i take it from the rafters and you had uh let's see uh top flight dante martin and darius martin uh we had a roosh and dralistico aussie open again uh matt taven and mike bennett uh, the lucha brothers so that's uh penta Miedo and ray phoenix and uh, i can only imagine this was a demolition derby and a half what, what did you see in this one so I only threw this in there because uh, Aussie Open is in the lineup for them. This was in the catalog. If you want to be a completist and watch every Aussie Open match of 2023, you cannot miss this one. Uh, they they were excellent within this match. Um, they are just, you throw them in a scenario and they deliver. This was a wild match. Uh, Dante Martin almost lost his foot completely and mm. he's probably going to be out for a while. The Lucha Brothers ended up winning this match. If you remember, Matt Taven won the uh, Ring of Honor World Championship at a G1 Supercard of Honor at Madison Square Garden. So he's kind of New Japan uh, <laughs> adjacent kind of legacy right there. But we brought it up for Aussie Open. They didn't really play into the finish. They were a great appearance. They are now being used as a team to elevate matches just by having their presence there. And so the year of 2023 for the Aussie Open continues. Katsuyori Shibata took on Wheeler Yuta for the Ring of Honor Pure <laughs> title in this one. And uh, 13 minutes, 12 seconds. We have a new Pure t uh, champion. So after all of that, and we're going to talk a little bit about it because uh, Sakura Genesis is where he suffered the subdermal hematoma in the first place. So this is the time of year. I mean, this was only a, a few years ago. This man was clinging to life. It was touch and go for this man even being alive. And here he is winning the pure title on this show. What did you think of Shibata versus Yuta? This was fucking awesome. You know, <laughs> I, I haven't been there yet to tell you anything that I've watched so far was fucking awesome, but this match was fucking awesome, Steven. Uh, <laughs> Katsuyori Shibata beat the shit out of Wheeler Yuta. 
shitty shit heel Wheeler Yuta did not stand a chance against Katsura Shibata. I don't know if Shibata only needed one rope break or no rope breaks, but he annihilated this dude while Wheeler Yuta needed all of his in order to survive through this match, which he did not do. There were only a few opportunities for Wheeler Yuta to get the upper hand, but this was designed to remind people that Katsuyori Shibata is a bad, bad man, and he is going to be around in Ring of Honor for a while. And after all was said and done, we got a tweet again from Kenta demanding that he and Shibata have a match sometime in the future. Well, I don't think too many people would argue against that idea. So that was Super Card of, Card of Honor involving New Japan uh, talent. And uh, they all had to hightail it back, several of them, because they were part of this road to Sakura Genesis. So right there, on the that was the 31st. On the 1st, one more, were, One more match. Is there one more? Oh, there is. Excuse me. I, I'm sorry. There was Hiroshi Tanahashi and Daniel Garcia. I did miss that one. I'm sorry, Jeremy. Go ahead. So I mentioned earlier that uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi had a perfectly pedestrian match with Speedball Mike Bailey. This was a much better match. I would say he had fair Tanahashi knees. Uh, He was able to do a lot more, but I do believe that Garcia is a more well-rounded wrestler and was able to work with Tanahashi in a way that uh, Speedball Mike Bailey was not able to. This was a vehicle for Garcia to look good. The speculation is that this may end up leading to some type of feud between Tanahashi and Jericho, maybe down for Forbidden Door or later on. Maybe Tanahashi and Shota and Garcia and Jericho, whatever the matchups are, who knows? It doesn't excite me, but it does make a little bit of sense when you start, you know, Looking, looking around at, at the at the field of New Japan and AEW. Are we still doing the thing where we're all pretending Jericho's still good? We're doing that Dang. still? Dang. Are we? <laughs> okay, I'm just checking. <laughs> Sometimes I got to ask every once in a while. Just like, Jericho, we're still saying Jericho's still good, right? All right, okay. Uh, yeah, okay. Well, we'll see. Forbidden Door. All right. <laughs> Moving on to Sakura Genesis. <laughs> Sakura Genesis, it is uh, back on the calendar. Uh, and we're going to talk about that. This There actually was not a Sakura Genesis last year. I forgot about that. They they named the show Hyper Battle uh, last year, uh, which was after an old school uh, pay-per-view. Uh, so... I, I completely forgot about that until you yeah. mentioned it. And uh, I feel like in about 15 seconds, I'm going to forget it again completely. <laughs> but Sakura Genesis is back this year. And so, of course, we had the road to... Uh, there were uh, a whole show uh, full of preview tags in Heretzka on uh, the first. Uh, we don't really need to go into to those. Uh, nothing really newsworthy came out of that. We had two shows at Cork and Hall, though, over the weekend, and that was on the, the second and the third. On uh, Sunday, attendance was uh, 1,298. On Monday, down to 902. That was a work day, of course, uh, but uh, still, it's uh, you would think that they would do a little bit better at Cork and Hall, but these shows... Who? Um, I, I, I firmly not their best believe, work, Jeremy. Wasn't their best work. I firmly believe that everybody around the world just phoned it in for Mania Week. They're Maybe. just like, you know what? Like, just we got a couple of cards. We'll, we'll put a clan at the top of this other card. Uh, we'll put Shingo in there for 40 minutes with Aaron Hanare. And uh, <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just get the card. We'll just get through the card that way. And you know what? It kind of worked out. 
Kind of did, yeah. Uh, so let's go over a little bit of the undercard here, and, and we're not going to read these matches off uh, 100%. It's just, they're just not as uh, newsworthy enough to, to do it. But uh, there was a match on uh, the first Cork and Hall show there on the second. That was LIJ. It was Naito, Hiromu Takahashi, and Bushi uh, taking on El Fantasmo, Taiji Ishimori, and Ghetto. What was interesting about this one is a lot of taunting between ELP and Naito, but it was in a playful way. You know, they were almost having fun with it. Uh, apparently, El Fantasma put out an April Fool's tweet about being the new Bullet Club leader, and he, he mentioned some of the past Bullet Club leaders and also mentioned that David Finlay uh, is the odd man out on that list and doesn't I belong on it. I felt so. Uh, he seems to be trying to get Taiji Ishimori on his side, and it might be working. Uh, Ishimori uh, mentioning that maybe he, El Fantasmo, and uh, Kenta should be the center of Bullet Club. Uh, that was something Ishimori said in one of the backstage comments there. So just a little bit of intrigue right there. But uh, in, in the, ma the match uh, was the LIJ getting the win. Of course, Ghetto ended up doing the job. The other thing that is uh, notable, El Fantasmo not getting along with Ghetto at all, isn't uh, doing the backstage interviews with him. And uh, just seems to be completely separate. He's also still baby facing in the crowd, doing the two sweet sign to fans, uh, showing appreciation for any signs, which has, of course, brought more people making more signs for him uh, to for him to react positively towards. So I think this is all going to come to a head of Genesis. And we're going to talk about that when we run down the Genesis card. But that's where we are right now is that uh, he's still completely unsold. And they are playing it very close to the vest as to where the rest of Bullet Club is going to fall in line, whether it will be behind David Finlay and Ghetto or with El Fantasmo. So there seems to be a bit of a power struggle there that I feel like is going to be resolved Saturday. I will say I could have done without the excessive amount of titty twister in this match. But... Yeah, like I said they were playful. They were goofing around a lot. That was a nice way of putting it, but now that was like there, there, were, there was a lot of thumbs on nipples. And uh, we just, I didn't need all of it. <laughs> no, it. no, he did not need all of it. Uh, the next match also is worth mentioning very briefly. Uh, Suzuki, Desperado, and Ren Narita and Ryohei Oiwa took on the House of Torture, the complete group there. So that's Evil, Yujiro, Sho, and Dick Togo in an eight-man tag as a preview for the never-open-weight uh, six-man title match. That one ended without a winner. It went to a double countout, which was to set up Ren Narita getting on the microphone and declaring that the title match itself on the third will be no countouts. The idea being you can fight all over the building and you won't get counted out. There. Mini so anarchy just... in the arena. United Empire defeated Chaos. Again, that was uh, Great Okan, Kyle Fletcher, and Mark Davis. So Aussie Open right back, back, all the way back in Japan in a very short amount of time. That was uh, impressive, actually. That was actually yeah. legitimately impressive. Goto, Yoshihashi, and Yano on the chaos side of it. And this was simply just to build up the um, match. They did the Coriolis finish on Yano. And we had uh, Bolton Oleg's first full match. Now, he did the Wrestle Kingdom exhibition match. That wasn't his first match. Uh, this is technically his first match. Did he wrestle more match. in this match or in that match? I think he might have wrestled more in that match than he yeah. did here. But... It was interesting for a couple of reasons. First of all, complete young lion gear. He was absolutely out in black trunks, black boots. I think he shaves his head anyway, but uh, he was—he had the shaved head. This dude is enormous. First of all, that one, that one didn't come across. Now, he was wrestling three smaller guys. Mm -hmm. Robbie Eagles and Kosei Fujita are both juniors. Zack Sabre Jr. is on the smaller side of the heavyweight scale. 
And uh, if you were doing shoot weigh-ins, might actually be under that junior heavyweight limit. So he wasn't in there with the largest guys. Boy, this guy's enormous, it seems like. Uh, and he's, I got a, that... uh, he's got a Miro or like a Lars Sullivan kind yeah. of body type. I, I thought saw Lars Sullivan too, especially the quads. Good Lord. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, here's what I found out too, Jeremy, that he, this is how highly thought of uh, Bolton Oleg is in terms of amateur wrestling. I found out that today, right here, as he is debuting in New Japan Pro Wrestling, he is still ranked seventh in the world at 125 kilograms. Damn. So if he just walked out of New Japan, not that he's going to do that, but and just walked into an amateur tournament, the world championships, he would be seated. He would be seated seventh right now as it stands. So That's this is this, yeah. And he was part of the Bushi Road sponsored uh wrestling team so if if you know how amateur wrestling works there are a lot of companies and things that sponsor this because uh there's not a ton of money in uh in amateur wrestling uh, hence the amateur part i suppose but uh even so uh, a lot of the gyms are kind of paid for by companies bushy road has one and they train uh, similar to Foxcatcher, uh the ill-fated uh john dupont uh, group that had mm. mark schultz and and uh anyway there ended up being a murder there of course but uh because DuPont was nuts, but uh, there were, there have been these things where the uh, either rich people like DuPont or companies will sponsor an amateur wrestling team. And uh, that, that is what's going on. Bolton Oleg's part of that. And now he's over with the new Japan train to be a pro. Uh, you know, he didn't do a whole lot. He's still very, very green, uh, obviously putting over power moves. Uh, Zach ended up submitting him. I have no complaints about it. It's way too early to know if this guy's going to be really good or not, but at pro wrestling, but, uh, you know, there it is, a little bit of history right there. If he turns into a major star, we'll know the, this is the very first match for him. He carried himself like an amateur pro wrestler in a pro wrestling ring, and I think that's going to be a big part of his character going forward. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. And, uh, yeah, you know, three minutes in the ring, started the match, ended the match. There you go. He also threw around those guys like they were absolutely ragdoll. Like yeah. this, this dude is strong. So uh, yeah, and then uh, the, after that, it really was the match between just five guys uh, taking on uh, a, a group of uh, Chaos Hantai guys. Uh, Connie Morrow with some new gear. He's got new tights. Uh, he he beat Tiger Mask with a moonsault uh, and uh, looked pretty good. Connie Morrow's really one of the underrated guys out there. Name a bad Connie Morrow match. Can't do it. Uh, so that led us to the ultimate triad match. So this is the stipulation they ended up with because they were talking about a Muay Thai match with knockouts and things. But what it ended up being was this triad match between Shingo Takagi and Aaron Hanare for the King of Pro Wrestling title. So, Jeremy, the rules were you had to beat your opponent all three conventional ways. You had to pin him. You had to submit him. And then basically Texas death match rules had to, to, to beat him, uh, get a 10 count on him. Although oh, I don't okay. think you had to pin him. You didn't have to pin him in order to get the 10 count. He just had to knock him down for a count of 10. He just couldn't get up before the count of 10, which is how the match ended. Yeah. So what we had here was, uh, you know, they had a little score score uh, board at the bottom of the screen right there. So uh, this was a course with the rules, very hard hitting and the wrestlers involved. Very hard. A little bit hard to understand too, because this is one of the fun weeks where we didn't have an English translation for yeah. any of this. So no, we're no watching this match and there's no context other than us having to go figure it out for ourselves. <laughs> so it was uh, a lot of hard shots, a lot of stiff blows, uh, forearms, headbutts, chops, 
and clotheslines, and they would play this that the other guy would take that hard shot and then stay on it their feet out of pure defiance, I suppose, of the other. So a uh, really good match, really long match, 38 minutes, 15 seconds. And Hanare got the full Nelson for the submission, of course. Shingo doesn't really have a submission hold in his uh, arsenal, but he uh, used a version of a stretch plum, I guess, uh, a little bit there and got a submission. Uh, he got a backslide for his three counts. So that, at that point, he had both submitted and pinned Hanare. But then very quickly, Hanare caught a running knee and then his little version of the brain buster with the leg hooked to uh, get a pinfall and tie the match. So then it, it just didn't came waste down any time between those two pins. No, it was a little bit like Lucha Libre. If you ever watch Lucha uh, and CMLL, it's uh, the trios matches are you either have to pin the captain or pin the other two members of the team. Mm. And so whenever someone pins one of the other two, the guy, the ones that aren't captain, it's amazing how quickly the other one slides in and runs into a big move to get pinned. Also, it's really, it's a remarkable coincidence. And this was like that. It's like, as soon as one person got a submission, the other guy did as soon as one got a pin, the other one did. So it came down to the knockout thing. The it's again, not quite Texas death match. You didn't have to pin and then get the, 10 count, but he had to knock the guy down for a 10. It all came down to a big pumping bomber clothesline after a long series of forearms, headbutts, and both guys being down. Pumping bomber, both men are laid out, both men battered, both men exhausted. And they were battered and exhausted, by the way. You could see yeah. it on their the welts on their bodies. This was worked very, very stiff. Shingo managed to get up at nine. Hanare kind of did, but fell forward. And Red Shoes said, nope, that's enough, and called it off right there. So a retention uh, for Shingo Takagi for the King of Pro Wrestling Provisional Championship. A pretty good match. It was the only good match of the night, so it really stood out, yes. actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, it, it was fine. Uh, he moves on with the KOPW thing. And afterwards, in the post-match comments, Shingo sold the brutality of the match so much that he didn't speak on the microphone afterwards uh, he was simply helped out by uh, i believe hiromu and afterwards he mentioned in the uh, backstage comments when he's he was sitting on the floor leaning back against the sponsor board he mentioned brian danielson claudio and samoa joe as three people he would like to face at Forbidden Door. Uh, yes, please, yes, please, and yes, please. So whichever way, if they want to do any or all of those, I'm in, uh, certainly. Uh, he also is going to be busy in April headlining for Tamashi events in uh, Australia. He is going to be main eventing one with Robbie Eagles, as a matter of fact. So busy time for Shingo, but... Uh, that dude is down for anything. That he really is. is. Like he is such a pro wrestler. It's like, whatever. Let's, let's go pro wrestle tonight. <laughs> but think it, Shingo Takani, Takagi versus Brian Danielson. Oh, God. Which one, uh, which one of those three do you think is most likely to happen? Samoa Joe. I agree. Yeah, I think Samoa Joe, because I think they're going to have bigger things in mind for Brian Danielson. Yeah. Uh, and Claudio, I feel like, is going to be defending the Ring of Honor title against somebody pretty impressive. Uh, so uh, I think that that'll be it. I, I would love to see Samoa Joe or Shingo Takagi. I'm totally in for that. I got a, I got a, speaking of this whole thing, I got a quick thing I want to pick your brain on. Do you okay. consider Eddie Kingston to be a New Japan talent? No, I consider him more to be an AEW guy that does New Japan shows once in a while. Ring of Honor, but yes. Well, not AEW anymore, but well, we got to start considering AEW and Ring of Honor different in do a we? lot of ways. I think so. <laughs> do we? I don't, I'm not convinced we do at all. But I feel like we're going to get Ring of Honor programming on New Japan World immediately, and we don't get AEW programming on New Japan World immediately. We kind of have to treat it a little differently. 
Okay. Well, I mean, I, uh, Ring of Honor. We're, we're talking about this Dynamite. on the air, guys. We're going. We're going. <laughs> Ring of Honor. But Ring of Honor guys show up on Dynamite all the time. Claudio's on Dynamite, and he's the Ring of Honor champion. But if Shibata, if Shibata gonna show up on Dynamite a lot, maybe. I, I wouldn't be, be surprised cool. if he were there sometimes. So. That'd be pretty cool. I mean, I don't know. He asked Tony if he can get him. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's talk about the next show. Yeah. Oh, and one other thing to mention: there was a VTR package during this show. Kevin Knight and Kushida. The Jet Setters. Uh, name themselves the Jet Setters and challenge TJP and Francesco Akira. So answers one question is we don't really know what's going on with that uh, junior heavyweight title. So although uh, I like the idea of uh, Fujita and Robbie Eagles as a team. That's We got a TMDK uh, possible team there. It did appear on social media that uh, Catch-22 responded. So it looks like that match is going to happen at some point in the near future. Now, TJP has not been on uh, New Japan shows, hasn't made the trip over lately, but is still very much a part of everything. Francesco Akira, we're going to be seeing at Genesis, but not TJP. But uh, that don't nothing to read into that. Uh, TJP just not booked in Japan lately, but will be uh, in the near future. So back on Monday. So again, this was a, a weekday show. So attendance down a little bit, down about 300. And uh, not, again, not a whole lot to speak of. On I almost didn't card. show up for this show, buddy. <laughs> and uh of course robbie eagles has been in preview tags with hiromu and it's been good stuff and it it dawned on me while i was watching this because hiromu was selling 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 for him especially the leg because robbie uses the ron miller specialist as submission finisher a leg lock hiromu has to make everyone doesn't he because Right now, Hiromu is on such a high plane that unless he's wrestling someone like Desperado or Taiji Ishimori, anyone else like Leo Rush, Robbie Eagles, he has to make them. So the road he's unintentionally to, Okada of the junior heavyweight division. The road two shows are nothing but Hiromu just taking ass beating after ass beating after <laughs> ass beating. So in an effort to try to convince us that this person is as good as Hiromu Takahashi, right? Because they have to try to make a guy. So, you know, poor Shingo, or poor, uh, or poor Hiromu, I mean, poor Shingo, too, after that Hirari match. We're going to talk about that because they both wrestled on this show and both sold the living hell out of it the day before. Credit to both of them. They both wrestled like they were stiff and in terrible pain, which is exactly the thing you should do <laughs> to get that match over again. And uh, might not have been as acting as much as they wish they had been. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, uh, so Robbie's working Hiromu's knee over and things. And it just dawned on me right there that Hiromu just has to do yeoman's work all the time in making these guys guys look like threats and i guess that's the the blessing and curse of being the best in the world of what you do huh i mean at some point hiromo just needs to go heel so he doesn't have to take an ass kicking all the time <laughs> he only has to take an ass kicking at the very end but uh <laughs> but the merch but the merch money might not be there so you know you you win some and you lose some but you're absolutely right he's he's like an okada in such a way where it's like he is so far and away considered the, the better of everyone else in that division that you have to do so much work to create the illusion that these are viable contenders. And one of these days, one of these, one of these contenders is just going to take the title and we're going to go through this dance again where Hiromu is going to win the title or he's just going to say, you know what? I'm moving up to the heavyweight division. And eventually he needs to just move up to the heavyweight division. But that's a crowded sure. scene as well. I'm not so, sure he does. I'm not sure he does. I think he's Jushin Liger. I think he just stays there and 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 okay. rules the division for a long time as a star. But he's it just, just seems he's like so such short. a trend that he's they so want to all move up. 
he's so short. It would just be a real challenge for him to really get over at that heavyweight level. I think when he's in there with guys that are six foot plus and things, not that he is, you know, I know, I think he's talented as hell and all that. What a shitty problem to have. It is, but man, I, I tell you what, there's nothing wrong with being Jushin Liger. For no, that's what I'm period. saying. What a shitty problem to have. Either yeah. like you're the best junior heavyweight of all time, or you go up to the heavyweight division and with your immense talent, you, you put on some weight and try and try and conquer that division. Either one is an admirable like just direction to go. And let me say this: Shinjiro Otani did bulk up when you would have thought in the mid nineties, there's no way this guy's a viable heavyweight and he bulked up and he was absolutely a main event level heavyweight. So not impossible. I mean, Something you can like even look at Zach Jinger. That dude put on 25 pounds of muscle and it didn't look like his body could even like, I think I he's still a junior. He's I think still, still a junior. He is, but he wrestled in that, yeah. in that upper division. I mean, he wrestled for the IWGP title and he has the credibility in the division to do so. So there's like an art, all I'm saying is there's an argument either way for it. My, I've um, seen Zach in person a couple of times and I'm always yeah. startled by how wiry he is. Just how, you know, and, and he just, he just doesn't seem like a big guy. And then he goes in there and ties people in knots. He's brilliant. I saw him in so, Battle of the Valley and for as much of an asshole persona uh, he, he portrays in the ring, he's genuinely like a super dude outside of the ring. See, that's what that's exactly what I figured. And I never wanted to know that because he's so effective as this kind of dick character that he plays in New Japan that I almost did not want the illusion broken. But an asshole for justice. <laughs> my, my girlfriend was walking through the room one time and watching Zach B. Zach on a New Japan show. And, and she gives me the best perspectives on things because she doesn't watch a lot. You yeah. know, she, she likes going live. She's, she loves live wrestling. She enjoys those shows. But she doesn't watch it on TV and follow it week to week. And she just had this look on her face like, oh, this guy is every guy that was an asshole to me in high school i remember you hearing that I'm like, and i yep. just thought yeah 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 he does have that aura doesn't he, he hit the jackpot right perfect. right old yep. guy <laughs> sometimes i just need her to put it in perspective like the glow up thing for sonata so i needed that confirmation so okay now we moved on to the no count out match so this allows them to fight around and take the the tours of cork and hall that we know and love uh Never open weight six man tag team title match. This was strong style. Minoru Suzuki back from the United States. Al Desperado and Ren Narita taking on the House of Torture for approximately the nine thousandth time. Evil Yujiro Takahashi and Show. So this went twenty four minutes and forty three seconds. And uh, you know, I think doing the no, no count out thing helped because they needed something to make these matches different because these teams have clashed so many times. And I feel like we've been seeing house of torture in these never open weight six man matches my entire life since I was a young child, which is not possible, but uh, it's, it needed something a little fresher. And I guess it gave it that I'm not going to try to say that this was any kind of a classic because Yujiro Takahashi was in it. <laughs> That's not going to happen. So they did what they could do, and I do think adding all the fighting around outside the ring helped a little bit. It gave it a little bit of variety. Uh, there was a long heel beatdown in this one. I mean, the baby faces being strong style here took a long pounding. Dick Togo was out wearing the Desperado mask he had stolen uh, several shows ago. Suzuki was taking a beating, but then he started no-selling. Like he, they were, he wasn't doing a comeback, but he would just get kicked, and he'd just sit up and laugh at whoever was kicking him. Uh, they did a very lame ref bump when Dick Togo uh, pushed Suzuki on top of Red Shoes. 
which didn't look particularly devastating while he was uh, looking for a submission or trying to see if a man was submitting. Uh, so anyway, uh, Red Shoes, of course, has been killed for 10 minutes off of that. Uh, so Dick Togo got to come in. Uh, show with a low blow into a pile driver, but uh, Minoru Suzuki broke it up. Show goes and gets the wrench, but Ren Narita cuts it off. And that leads to the babyface rally. Pinche Loco finish from El Desperado on to show for the win. Uh, world is safe for democracy again. Uh, Strong Style defeats uh, House of Torture. And this felt very decisive. Now, I've said that before. But this felt very decisive in that after the match, Jeremy, they got Dick Togo back in the ring. They took the mask that he had stolen back. Evil was in there. He just took a penalty kick from uh, Ren Narita. So they not only pinned show, they penalty kicked evil. They beat up Togo, got the mask back. There really isn't anything left between those two. And afterwards on the microphone, Narita said, I'm done with house of torture. Please let that be the case. I think it's done, man. I think that was the <laughs> blow off. The hook- Okay, so if you were going to have anarchy in the arena with 900 people there, Hmm. this is what that match was. It was literally just everybody was fighting with each other at the same time. You could watch camera angles where everyone was just beating the shit out of each other uh, around the ring, in the ring for the first five, eight minutes of the match. Then it went into more of a traditional battle fight. Uh, I would call this watchable. This was a watchable match. Was it the best match that you're ever going to see any of these guys have? No. Is it the best House of Torture match you're ever going to see? It's possible. It's possible <laughs> to argue that. Is it the best strong style stable match you'll ever see? Speaking of strong style, maybe. But they're also an early kind of, uh, they're an early stable. And this was kind of the Cowboys ride in and beat some ass kind of story. And that's exactly what it was, is. They came in, they were wronged, they have all got back together, and, you know, the culmination of the 22-minute episode, the heroes all get back on the same page, and Queen House, and that's, that's what this was, it was the brawl. Uh, they are doing the best to position Ren Narita at the front of this stable. Ren Narita is the guy making the claims that they're done with House of Torture. What else could House of Torture do to these guys at this yeah. point? Yeah. So, I think we're done. I think we're good. I'm wondering what House of Torture does next. I would like to see them acknowledge in some point the Bullet Club strife. So maybe that's where they're going next. Uh, And then the other thing is Narita brought up a name and it was Kazuchika Okada in his post-match thing. And then in the post-match comments, he said he wanted Okada to challenge for the six-man titles. Well, I mean, they just had had that match a couple weeks ago with uh, Tanahashi and Okada versus Shota Shota and Ren, right? Mm-hmm. And Okada was a dick, and I keep telling people this is like <laughs> Okada is Okada's not a good dude right now. Uh, there's something about him that he's just he's got an edge and kind of a I don't want to say like a Roman Reigns vibe about like an acknowledge me like I'm the champion and no one no one can beat me. But between Kaido Kamiya, the negative comments he had with Sonata. The behavior he had against Red Narita and Shota Umino in that tag match that they had, like this guy is not behaving like the noble Okada that we've seen over the last few years. So I'm just I, I as it's happening, I am I am putting it out there because I look at Red Narita as an instigator, but not necessarily the heel and challenging Okada, perhaps Shota Umino, uh, Okada, 
who else would be in, in that group? Maybe uh, Hiroki Goto and uh, Yoshihashi mm-hmm. in a couple weeks. Dot dot dot. Well, maybe, maybe so. Yeah. But I don't know, man. This is again with my theory of Okada is, is not going to be a baby face by the end of twenty twenty. Well, we're moving on to Sakura Genesis, which is Okada's next big title match. That's going to be on the 8th, that's uh, Saturday, at Sumo Hall, Ryugoku Kukuchikan in Tokyo. A beautiful building, I've been there. And uh, we had uh, the IWGP world title, Okada versus Sonata. And both you and I feel like this one's going to be a uh, title retention for Okada. We just don't feel like Sonata is quite at that point yet. But every time these guys wrestle each other, it's pretty good. Should be a terrific title match. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on this one? Has anything changed? Do you still feel like it's a, a win for Okada? I think it's a win for Okada. I think the only person that I think the next person that beats Okada is Will Ospreay. Mm-hmm. Um, for the title is, is Will Ospreay. And I am going to stick to that until I have to eat the humble pie <laughs> when Okada loses to somebody and said, and come on to this, uh, come on to this show, Stephen Conway, and look at you and say, I was wrong. It's going to be interesting to see who gets him in G1. That's that's the thing about Okada, because he's going to have to lose or draw somewhere in G1 in order to not win it. And uh, so, uh, you know, I don't think they're going to have him win. But uh, If it were me, I'd have David Finley get a win over him somehow. Yeah, and it could be through chicanery just to protect him too. So yeah. uh, that's it. Yeah, Colin agrees with us. It'll I'm with, I'm with, I'm with, uh, with young Colin here. Yep, I think this yep, is yep. going to be uh, Okada going through. I think he's the guy to be holding the belt and be the front piece of New Japan going into at least Dominion. And uh, yeah, Hanada, Hanada has had a glow up, but not world title level glow up. And that's the point that Okada's been making in his comments too. So it'll be interesting to see if uh, he if the crowd turns on him there after that too. I'm, I'm curious. It's junior heavyweight title match: Hiromu Takahashi against Robbie Eagles. I kind of feel the same way as I do about the Okada thing. Robbie's probably going to look good, but I feel like Hiromu's going to win this. I could, I could see Robbie Eagles pulling the upset, but okay. because Zack Saber Jr. is already kind of holding the IWGP TV title, uh, the New Japan TV title, and they really like to keep the uh, titles uh, spread evenly throughout the stables. Unless there is a massive amount of title changes in our future, I feel like Hiromu going into the best of the Super Juniors is probably the play. The thing is, if he's not the champion of best of the Super Juniors and he's got to win again, and he's already won so many of them, I feel like they're ready to put somebody else over in Super Juniors, and that means Hiromu goes in as champion. To me, it's anyway. absolutely better for him to lose a couple of times, set up a couple of title challengers out of that, and yeah. then actually have a winner. And you have like three title challengers going in through the rest of the summertime. Yeah, yeah, there you go. So, uh, yeah, and uh, so we'll see how that goes there. I- I'm sure it'll be a good match. <laughs> Hiromu wins. I don't see Robbie Eagles as champion ever. Colin. That is decisive, Colin. That is decisive. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, and I mean, it, not here. I don't think he will either. Now, here's one that could be a title change, and that is uh, the Bishamon Aussie Open match. Now, again, Hiroki Goto and Yoshihashi, I'm really 50-50 on this one. I think Aussie Open very well might win this thing. And I'm not ready to predict it, uh, but I am honestly not sure who gets this. This is a, as fi- as close to 500 as it is. There's always a little bit of peril because Bishamon's never 
portrayed as dominant tag team champions. So the question is, does Ghetto want to make them into dominant tag team champions and have them run through a bunch of teams or not? But uh, this might be the time. This might be the time. I, we, we both feel that Davis and Fletcher are going to be champions of probably many different companies over the course of their uh, yeah. run, as long as they stay together and stay healthy. Uh, is this the beginning? It could well be. I'm honestly flip a coin on this. I don't know who's going to win this match. I'm just looking forward to it. If it were me, I would have Mark Davis and Kyle Fletcher win this, win the title here. I'd have TJP and Francisco Akira lose the IWGB Junior Tag Title to the Jet Setters uh, a few weeks down the line and reset those kind of titles. I think Yoshihashi and Hiroki Goto have hit their ceiling as of now for their titles and where they are on the roster. There's really not much more that they can go with. They beat Okada and Tanahashi to defend those titles. Like they beat the current sitting world champion in a match to retain those titles. There's not much more that they can do. They are going to be shredding water with all their title defenses moving forward from here because Aussie Open is quite frankly the hottest tag team that New Japan has right now. I think if not now, very, very soon that Aussie Open is the IWGP tag titles, and it makes a lot of sense to do it right now. I'll bring this up just to say, because Colin also thinks there's going to be a title switch here. Bit of a devil's advocate, because I don't disagree with you guys, but bit of a devil's advocate on this. Bishamon retains, mm -hmm. and they keep Akira and TJP as the title holders for United Empire. What about down the road? Because we feel like Sonata is going to lose the main event. Sonata and Taichi sometime winning these tag team titles together. I think that's a possibility. There, so this is, I would like for them somewhere to for Bishamon to go after this. I would like for them to be the tag team that wins it in the World Tag League and potentially hmm. wins the titles next year at uh, Wrestle Kingdom. That mm -hmm. sounds like a fine arc for all to be involved. But that can require a little bit of time to get to that point, and that's not something mm -hmm. that we, we need to rush. But uh, from the from the hippity hop, from the one to the two, I think that is a fine, uh, fine combination. And if it is not, and it is just, you know, Bishamon to just two guys or just five guys, just two-fifths or whatever. Just uh, two-fifths. Just 40%. Just 40%, you know, 40 per the 2080 rule is not in effect when that happens. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> 33% chance of winning. Jeez. And it was my I understanding there would be no math in the uh, show. Uh, that, I, I had a job where they had a math uh, equivalent to get hired at one point. And yeah, then they took the, the math equivalent away. And I feel like the math equivalent was important. <laughs> <laughs> Up next, we have the TV championship, Zack Sabre Jr. and Shota Umino. This is another potential title change. I thought it was interesting. Zack said that if he lost to Shota in under 10 minutes, now keep in mind it's a 15-minute time limit, under 10 minutes that he would retire. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. But I do feel like Umino might win this thing. I do not think that Umino will win this thing. Uh, do you think they'll go to a draw? I, a coin flip? They don't do I, I coin flip. I got you. I got you. I got you. <laughs> I wish I could find that part of your brain and flick it out. Just flick it, flick it out. I was just waiting for it. Like, oh, how were your kettle chips, by the way? Oh, they were good. Oh, they were good. I got the last bag in the HEB, which is the main grocery store chain around here. And I went in there and it was one bag left. Just sitting there waiting for me. But uh, I got it and I ate them and they were delicious. 
I think there are bigger and better things. I think this is a match for Shota to have with a talented wrestler like Zack Sabre Jr. But I think that if Shota wins a title, I feel like the never open weight title or something like that is much more of a prestigious uh, opportunity for him to capture rather than this one. I think, uh, I think for, I think they need to build the TV title a little bit more. I think Zach Sabre Jr. has a lot of opportunity stateside to defend that title in the near future and show to having it is probably not the best direction for me personally. Okay. Well, there we go. Yeah. I, 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 the, I could, I could see more of a draw. I don't, think they're gonna beat shoda again i don't know i it's just they've been beating him a lot i just think that's uh especially considering they're trying to make him the new tanahashi i think they're probably gonna try start protecting him a little bit more they, they will but there there's also a sense of you, you you gotta break him down before you build him up and the people that he's losing to are not people you should be ashamed by that saber jr you got naito you got will osprey you're losing to okada these are not these are not kanemaru this is not you know, this is not lower level guys on the card. He's being placed in a position to overachieve and failing rather than setting the bar and not even be able to like hit baseline. So I, it, it, I don't know. Perception of reality. I'm not, I'm not there with you yet, but I validate what you're saying. I appreciate you validating me. Uh, IWGP women's title match, Mercedes Benet defending against Azumi and Hazuki. So uh, this is going to be, a retention for Monet. And the reason I say that with such confidence is the number one icon of stardom, uh, Mayu Iwatani has challenged the winner of this match for a monster show in stardom's history that is coming up at the Yokohama arena, which is a big building. They're going to want to put their best stuff. If you've seen uh, Tam Nakano and Julia are going to face each other for the red belt, I'm going to plug that for just a moment because Tam actually went and cut off a chunk of Julia's hair uh, a week or so ago. Julia ends up bloodying up Tam Nakano at a press conference. You don't see a lot of juice in uh, stardom, but there it was, Tam bleeding. Uh, so there's a lot of steam on that match, and they're going to want another big one for that Yokohama Arena show, the biggest match they could possibly make is Mercedes Monet and Mayu Iwatani. That's what's going to happen. I, I would This one I would bet the house on. But Azumi and Hazuki are both excellent, excellent wrestlers, really good workers. I don't know how long this match is going to get. That's the question, isn't it, after what we saw at Wrestle Kingdom? But, boy, I'm hoping that they get a little bit of time if they get uh, – for Azumi and Hazuki, two real, really good high-speed wrestlers – 10 or 12 minute match could turn out to be very special. I hope we get at least 12 minutes. I hope we get more than eight minutes. This needs to have a considerable amount of time to really shine. And we're going to get into it in a little bit, but I suddenly feel like the window of time that Mercedes Monet has to be uh, checking <laughs> off her boxes of who she wrestles in stardom. Uh, that window might be a little bit bigger now. And I was looking at this card and I was looking at this match in particular. And I thought, hmm, gosh, recklessly speculating, it would be fucking awesome if there was someone that Mercedes Monet could potentially tag with in stardom to have matches <laughs> with Hazuki and Izumi. Uh, that of the lay B of the Bailey of the WWE <laughs> may per, may not be working there recently. Who knows? Yeah. I'm yeah. not sure. E, but uh, this is one of the things that I'm I'm starting to really reassess 
uh, Mercedes Monet's time here in stardom. And I think we're going to be seeing a lot more than what we originally thought was going to be her, her time. And I'm, I'm legitimately excited. Uh, I think she's going to retain this match, but uh, we were looking at potentially her wrapping up her time, maybe April, if not earlier. And so I am very curious about that. Well, it, it should be an interesting match there for sure. And uh, I like uh, Mercedes' work in stardom so far. And uh, it's 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 been fun. I, her match with Kyrie was very, very good. And this one has potential to be really good also. So after that, we also have Naito, Bushi, and Shingo Takagi against Taichi, Kanemaru, and Doki. So that's basic LIJ versus uh, just five guys, which makes a little bit of sense. They stole Sonata away. And uh, not a whole lot to say about this one, except it'll just be a, a pretty good match on the card. Another six-man tag underneath is uh, Francesco Akira, Jeff Cobb, and Aaron Hanare against uh, Yujiro Takahashi, Evil, and Sho. And to me, the one with the most intrigue of the undercard, the prelims, so to speak, before we start getting the title matches, Master Wato, Tamatanga, and Hikuleo against David Finlay, El Fantasmo and Kenta, this is where we might see the next chapter in the Bullet Club drama. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i not sure I really care at this point about what's going on with Bullet Club, although I'm very curious to see if they pivot back to Jay White in any way, shape, or form, given that he may not end up going to WWE. Are they as committed to David Finley going forward? Do they continue in that direction? Those are suddenly the questions that I'm wondering about, uh, given that it does not appear that Jay White is headed to WWE, which makes the whole loser leave Japan and then the loser leave New Japan somewhat of a box and a corner you got to paint yourself out of. But uh, do you have any thoughts about that part of it? Like, do you think that that they're going to pivot plans in any way, shape, or form if Jay White is suddenly available again? Well, I, I think, you know... <laughs> We, I think we need to calm down. None of this is decided as of yet anyway. So, I mean, sure. there are ways to do it. And as and we're going to get to the WWE stuff either. Right now, everybody's panicking. But it sure. reminds me of another situation in which everybody panicked and then nothing really happened. So, uh, before we before we start booking uh, fantasy booking too much, uh, <laughs> let's keep in mind that they have a direction to go with this Bullet Club thing. Sure. I am interested in it because I'm curious to see if some key members of Bullet Club do either defect or if this is a whole thing where they end up rallying behind Finlay and Finlay. I am curious to see who the leader of Bullet Club is because that person is usually heavily involved in the main event mix. And if they decide to go with Babyface, El Fantasmo, and who goes with them? And and I'm just curious to see that. I, I do want to see how that turns okay. out. So, so I, uh, I want to see what they decide to do. I'm not compelled in the story leading up to it, is the best way I can put it. Hmm, okay. Well, I, I, yeah, I, I'm a little more into it than you are then, but uh, I, I am curious to see where Kenta lines up or Chase Owens sure. lines up because they have made a point of being ambivalent about that in you know, backstage comments and things. No one seems really sure about Finlay except Ghetto. So yeah, so Chase Owens is, is you know someone that they haven't really decided who's going to stand where. You mentioned Ishimori. You got Kenta, Fale, ELP. We don't know where House of Torture lies and all this, and now that their slate is kind of clean. Bullet Club is messy right now. You know, mm -hmm. this is that phase of Bullet Club where everyone looks at you and tells you Bullet Club is fine, and Bullet Club is not fine. But 
of all the recent Bullet Club shake up shakes that they've had throughout the year, this one seems the messiest and non-linear. And for that, it makes it hard for me to get as into it as I've been in the past. And it, it's also a bloated Bullet Club roster right now. It might yeah. do with maybe having three guys move out of it or four guys move out of it and create another faction in there too and just try to you know pare it down a little bit. So there's also going to be a six-man mystery tag team match. We're not going to know who's in this one until their music hits. This is a tie-in with a show called Shinichi Champions, uh, which is apparently a big show in Japan that is doing a little tie-in with the company here. So uh, again, six-man tag early in the show. I uh, don't expect a lot uh, to come out of this one, except it'll just be something, uh, probably an unusual pairing in there somewhere, but we're not going to know who's in this match until the music hits. So, Another yeah. quick observation, United Empire is set up as clearly the face is going to match against Tales of Torture. So that is, mm-hmm. uh, that is an interesting alignment that New Japan has set up with that match uh, on the Sakur Genesis main card. So, so, so yeah, and, uh, you know, we've got... Uh, some time here now that's the card for sakura genesis that shows saturday there ryugoku kakujikan and the elephant in the room all week even when you're watching shows from other companies is wrestlemania and uh well right now we've got a graphic up for collision in philadelphia there's also capital collision coming which will be more uh, new japan strong type of shows but uh you know i just wanted to talk a little bit about mania because we had an amazing show on Saturday, one of the very best in WrestleMania history on Saturday. Sunday's show was very, very good. Get lost in that. What, what's gotten lost in it is the finish where, of course, Roman Reigns retained over Cody. And it's just something that I was thinking about, Jeremy, more than, and then the company was sold, Endeavor, all this stuff. The Roman Reigns, Roman Reigns fetishization that has gone on with WWE, where they have just made him the you know they i think they're going to try to extend his reign longer than hulk hogan's just because this petty thing where now they can put him above hulk hogan's first reign and you know make it over a thousand days in the whole spiel uh i want to go way back there was a moment and this is going to sound very strange i'll get there i promise in toronto where the sheik the original sheik ed farhat was the top star there was a succession of baby faces that would come in and challenge him. And the Sheik would always find a way to win in the end, either hook, well, always by crook because the Sheik didn't wrestle normally. He was throwing fire and using forks and blood and all this kind of stuff. So a different type of working style. But the main thing is the Sheik was the number one star in Toronto and baby face after baby face after baby face came in. Well, they finally set it up where Andre the Giant was coming to get the Sheik. And it was a big match that was hyped up. This was going to be it. And the fans were absolutely positive that now, finally, we're going, we've been coming here for years to see the Sheik get beat. Someone's going to finally do it. And he didn't. The Sheik threw a fireball in Andre's face. Andre ended up, you know, getting counted out. He lost. And the Sheik won again. And after all that time, it killed the territory. That was the final moment. That was the tipping point where fans said, this carrot isn't on the end of the stick. I'm chasing an empty stick. And stopped coming. And attendance dropped precipitously. And it took a long time for Toronto to find its way back. The way that story was set up over the course of a year with Cody 
coming in at WrestleMania, beating Seth Rollins, and then beating him again and beating him again, Gathered. but then winning the Royal Rumble, going all the way through, about to win the title that his father never did, getting in the ring with the Reigns, and then losing again. I feel like WWE may have just had their Andre the Giant Sheik moment. He has cleaned out that division. There's no one else that is a challenger that he hasn't beaten a dozen times before. And I wonder if this whole fetishization of Roman Reigns isn't going to finally bite them in the butt a little bit here. It's going to take a while because they have a lot of momentum and Kevin and Sammy are very, very popular. But I just feel like we may have watched them clean out the division to the point where I think a lot of fans and just seeing the deflation in everybody after Montreal beating Sammy, after here beating Cody, are fans going to walk away from this and just say, you know what? He's never going to lose to anybody. You know, just like, why are we doing this? Like, why, why do we still, especially after that type of thing where the company was almost at a peak. Well, it was at a peak on Saturday that we have very rarely seen in wrestling. That was one of the best scenes anyone's seen. I just feel like maybe they have missed it. And they, I know that maybe they can always say that Cody will win the thing at SummerSlam. And that we, I heard the bullshit from Triple H. Well, you don't know the story. Neither do you. Uh, the, only, the only story is that it's the same old story, that uh, Vince is back and uh, the creative is going to go to hell. But I feel like that was a missed opportunity. And I feel like we may have just watched the peak and the end of this strong WWE run. And I think in a while we're looking back at this and just saying that the first quarter of 2023, they had it and that was when they lost it. And I, I don't know what, what are your thoughts on that? But I really feel strongly that they have blown a big opportunity. here. So I, uh, Peel back the layer a little bit here. I I ended up going over to Dave Melker's house, and it was just him and me watching Mania uh, at a house. It was just him and I, and we were just bullshitting and and whatever. And it was a really great time. And we both knew that we were watching a really special show. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't the the show wasn't even over, and we were talking to each other like this might be the best single night of WrestleMania there's ever been. Yeah, like. They stick the landing on this show and it, it, that's it. Like just, just a stellar show top to bottom. And you were hoping that they were going to deliver that same energy. And night two really didn't deliver at the same, at the same level. If we were talking top seven, top nine manias of all time, uh, that's, that's where night two was. But when you're comparing night two of a mania that's in the top 10 and the best night of WrestleMania that has ever happened at all time on night one, which I firmly believe that was. Yeah. Uh, you are, you are inviting criticism and I have long felt that the booking of this WrestleMania with triple H's one shot to shoot his shot about a WrestleMania that he wanted to have booked with the way that he wanted it done. And when it was all said and done, I'm not entirely sure he didn't have an okie doke rug pulled out from under him yeah. near the very end. And he didn't quite get to stick that landing. Can they bounce back? Yes. Will it matter? 
I'm not sure. There were a lot of people watching that show. There were a lot of people that spent a lot of money to go to that show under the premise that they were getting their season finale to pay off to the to everything that they were seeing. And you are playing with fire when you get cute. And they got cute with that finish. Yeah, and it, it's just something that, again, financially, the company is unsinkable. Mm-hmm. Their TV contracts and sponsorships are such that they will not lose money. And this sale with Endeavor is going to combine it with UFC, and they're going to be fine. Will it ever feel like it felt Saturday? Under Vince McMahon, I don't think it's ca- they're capable of doing yeah, it. I don't because, think because a company that was built on superhero baby faces. Remember, this is a company that was built on Bruno Sammartino, Bob Backlund, Pedro Morales, Hulk Hogan, good guys who did the right thing, and most importantly, Jeremy, good guys that came through for the people. That's what WWE was built on. And I know that until Hogan, it was Vince's father that was doing all that. And nevertheless, Hogan, through... Even some of Randy Savage, although Savage turned heel, Ultimate Warrior, uh, and they go all the way through to Steve Austin and, and things. Those guys were never made to look dumb. They were never made to look gullible. Uh, even when somebody turned on them, it was pretty dastardly and not because they were just an idiot and didn't see it coming. Yet, this current product that Vince McMahon uh, books, he's lost all of that. And the idea is the baby faces are just gullible and stupid all the time. And I just feel like you can never get that peak back. Cody can win the title. It's never going to feel like it would have felt on Sunday. And I have no confidence in Vince right now booking Sammy and Kevin to look anything more than an idiot uh, and possibly lose that title pretty quickly because he just believes now that you just keep hurting baby faces and hurting baby faces. And by some miracle that actually creates heat, what should be obvious, but isn't clearly from raw, which Vince booked and was horrible uh, that he just doesn't understand that fans need to believe in the baby faces, which is what happened there because Sammy and Kevin had a dignity about him because Cody had a dignity about him people believed that they were going to come through for him. And when you start making him look dumb, when you start making them look weak, uh, that will fall off. And it's just, uh, they're never going to get that again. And it's so painful to me sometimes to see it done that well and get it that right until the very end where they just couldn't pull it. Uh, the trigger is, uh, the best thing I can the best thing that I can justify is that they mortgaged that last night of WrestleMania so that they could create a viable like ironclad guy for the nostalgia area from 2025 to 2035 in yeah. Roman Reigns that they can just do dream matches and throw it on there and just super have, have a locked into superstar because the nostalgia era is ending. There's not going to be a Goldberg. There's no more Undertaker. You're only going to have Rey Mysterio for a few more years. John Cena's not going to be around forever. So you're you're locking in this, but man, it wasn't the time to do it. It really yeah. wasn't. Yeah. And I don't think Cody will ever be the same. Can he? Yes. Do I think so? I really don't. I really and don't. Look- and I and I don't think the WWE is going to be the same uh, for the next five to ten years either. 
I think. And, and with Vince back in charge, look where we're going. To me, the, the storyline is pretty obvious, too, is that Paul Heyman went behind Roman Reigns' back, talked to Brock Lesnar, and in order to get him out of this match, said, you'll get a title match down the line. You know, that because the only reason for Brock to turn on Cody, because he, of course, the whole story was it had to be someone who could never have a match with Roman again. Well, the only thing he could get Brock, the only reason Brock would do something like that was if he, if he did it, he would get a title shot again. And so they can drag that out for a while where they just said, Oh, you took, you took, you took care of this wise man. And he just said, yeah, I sure shit did. You know? And then later on, you know, the Brock, well, Paul didn't tell you. The reason I turned on Cody was you and me again, buddy, except we've seen that goddamn match so many times. I don't want to see it again, except Vince fetishizes both of these guys. I like that idea, but I really just thought it was going to be Brock being pissed that Cody thought he could do what Brock could. And it just like, oh, you think you're better than me? You thought you could beat Roman? Like, I'll there was, show you. There was a line in there from Heyman where he said, I took care of it. And, yeah. you know, and it was it was kind of left like that. So that's where I think it's, I don't know, difference. but look, Jeremy, here's the thing too. As far as how will this affect New Japan? Would it ever affect New Japan? Maybe not, except Vince McMahon putting himself back in charge, which sure shit looks like he has as far as creative goes. And we know that part of this sale to Endeavor involves him being in charge of the company. Now, they're going to give us a line of bullshit that Triple H is head of creative. But Vince is going to be able to cross out anything Paul does and put in whatever he wants anytime he wants, right? Which has kind of always been the case for the most part. But Raw on Monday was a Vince McMahon show. Now, is he going to be there every week? Probably not. Uh, But nevertheless, I feel like he is going to be the final uh, authority on all this, which is not good news. Creatively, creatively, business wise, buck stops with Vince. So, we've already seen Bailey seems to have decided that she's done. Uh, Mercedes Monet and Trinity uh, Fatu seem to have decided they just didn't want to work for, for Vince and, and, and by extension, Johnny Ace, uh, who could blame them with those slime balls. Uh, you know, that the, they walked out with the tag team titles and just said, forget it, right? And Mercedes hasn't come back. Yeah, and people decided not to work there in light of the changes in the structure. With that in mind, I mean, are, we could be seeing some people ask for their release or not. Now, there's been a lot of supposition about that. I want to remind everybody, too, that after the whole controversy where people were stuck in Saudi Arabia for a while, there were a ton of people just saying, I'm never going back there. I want out of this company. Forget it. You know, we're never doing this again. And almost all of them did it again. So right now, everybody's panicking. I don't know if everyone's going to feel this way in a week. Uh, But, you know, it's just a matter of there could be some people coming out of WWE when their deals are done that are over this whole thing also wwe can pay them more than anybody else so they might just take the money and shut up and i wouldn't blame them for doing that getting paid for something when you're putting your body on the line like this i won't argue with so i'm curious to see the ripple effect if morale is indeed as low as we're hearing we could see some people leaving there or asking to leave there that new japan would be interested in so as Ghetto goes through his plans for the next year, and you know how Ghetto plans, you know, a long time ahead. 
I'm very curious to know if he is writing some alternate stories out there, thinking that maybe there's some people that he didn't think was going to become were going to become available that might be. And like you said, Mercedes Monet, her run in IWGP or with Bushi Road, Stardom and New Japan, might go a little bit longer than we thought because maybe she's not going to be uh, coming back to Triple H, who she did have a good relationship with. But now the guy that she walked out on seems to be right back in charge. There's only two names on my list right now that are New Japan adjacent that for different reasons I'm a little bit worried for. I don't want them to lose their jobs at WWE, but they are the two names that I'm going to think of. One, Bronson Reed Jonah. I could easily see him back with the mighty don't kneel. Uh, and the other one, I don't think you're you're gonna be surprised. You're gonna be, you're, I think I might surprise you. I'm very worried for Eddie Thorpe, aka Carl Fredericks. That is a guy that just went there looking for a new opportunity, and uh, I don't know. The alarm bells are ringing on that one, and I'm 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 personally a little worried for him. I don't know if he would end up back in New Japan, but if there's one talent that I could see Vince not taking a liking to and ending up right back where he was in the G1 in 2023 after 2022 is probably Bronson Reed Jonah. Be interesting to see because there are reports of people that are fairly high on the card that are very unhappy with uh, this. And, uh, you know, we know that Charlotte's going more to be in a bodybuilding contest. That's why she's going to be away for a while uh, more than any uh, creative differences there. Uh, although that could always pop up again. But uh, also worth mentioning, by the way, uh, you know, Bailey not mentioned on the show, not at the show, tweeting by. Uh, Dakota Kai and Eo Sky went out there, got squashed. And remember, those were people that Dakota Kai was let go and brought back by Triple H. And uh, Eo Shirai basically uh, said, I, I want to go either to the main roster or be released. Uh, maybe that's not exactly how that went, but it was uh, a matter of uh, WWE bringing her up where Vince seemed content to just leave her in NXT for one match a month or something like that. So, and then as soon as he's back in charge, a gorilla position, suddenly uh, they're out there getting crushed by Raquel Gonzalez and Liv Morgan. So Look, not good people, signs for those two either. If you don't know that Bailey is the best, one of the best that WWE has bell to bell, then you need to, you need to rewatch some WWE because losing her would be a huge loss. And not using EO would be really stupid, too, because 100%. she's one of the best female workers in the world. And Colin, is, I'm with you, man. Uh, I hope uh, – I didn't really want to see Jonah go back to WWE, and uh, I would like to see him back in New Japan also. That's a, a better spot for him and uh, better matchups uh, for uh, him in New Japan. So maybe with any luck, huh? Yeah. You want to wrap this up? What are your socials? At uh, Stephen Conway 88 on Twitter, uh, Ringside Replay, and uh, you know, just don't forget to uh, look for us in the podcast realm as well. What do you have? Jer Feinstone on Twitter. You can find all our podcast links pinned to my Twitter at the top if you want. If you're looking for this show, don't forget to subscribe, like all the major podcast feeds on the YouTube Fight Game Media channel, all the stuff. Stephen, take us home. All right. Next week, of course, we're going to be running down the big Sakura Genesis card. A lot of title matches and a lot of possible angles coming out of that. We will talk about every single bit of it and break it down for you right here. So for Jeremy Feinstone, I'm Stephen Conway. Thank you for watching and listening to Speaking of Strong Style. We'll see you again real soon.